Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome back to the Cloudcast, coming to you live here from the massive studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Just me today. Um, you know, we, we've gotten some really good feedback from people, especially a couple of weeks ago, we did a show uh, looking at SaaS applications, not only on the sort of user side applications, but also uh, this emerging set of, of SaaS applications that are that are augmenting IT organizations. And, you know, we've got a lot of really good feedback from people that said, hey, you know, please do more of those shows. We want to know uh, kind of the internal architectures of those applications. What do we have to think about as an IT organization? What are the gotchas? And so today uh, we, we sort of took your feedback and, and today we're very, very lucky. Uh, we are uh, joined today by Alan Leinwand, who is CTO of ServiceNow, one of the largest uh, SaaS application providers, as well as really just, you know, out there helping IT organizations get better. Alan, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Um, so tell me a little bit, you've got a, a really distinguished background. You've been uh, on, on really both sides of things. You've been kind of a, what people would call a customer. You've been out building applications. You've built technology companies as, a, as an entrepreneur. Give folks a little bit of your background, not only prior to ServiceNow, but what you're really focused on now at ServiceNow. Yeah, happy to. Um, I was lucky enough to start my career here in the Valley uh, way too many years ago at HP. And back at HP, I was involved in installing these little boxes called San Francisco Systems Routers and deploying them all across the planet to build what you know what then would be called one of the first you know private internets. I actually helped write some of the software to manage that uh, as well, and uh, ended up joining Cisco Systems, as that little router company was called, uh, back in the very early 90s, and spent about seven years there. And I did everything at Cisco from engineering network management products to working on routing protocols to helping design enterprise networks and service provider networks really an, an amazing experience at Cisco. I think we went from, you know, 100 folks or so to many, many tens of thousands over that period of time. I did venture out into the startup world. I uh, did a couple of startups in the, the dot-com era of the late 90s. Uh, also was really lucky enough to end up in the venture capital world for about seven and a half years doing investment around infrastructure technologies and play what we now call cloud. And I popped back out to the uh, sort of the worker bee side of the world and ended up running a CTO of infrastructure over at Zynga, which is a consumer gaming company, as I think a lot of you know, uh, from its Farmville, Mafia Wars, Cityville fame, and have been over here at ServiceNow just about four years now, helping build uh, the enterprise cloud company and building out really a, a cloud that helps enterprises automate workflows. It's really been an exciting time to sort of see the, the transformation that's happened in the enterprise. It's, it's night and day from, you know, the 80s and the 90s and the the early 2000s to where we are today. Right. That's just a bit of my background. I'm generally an infrastructure sort of guy and a cloud software sort of guy. That's kind of where, I, where I've been playing around for a while. Yeah, no, that's, that's outstanding. It's uh, a, little bit of, a little bit of everything, kind of how, how the internet evolved, how applications have evolved. And um, talk a little bit. You, you, uh, I've been reading a series of, of blogs that you wrote, and one of the things that you said was really pat- you, you were passionate about as you moved to ServiceNow, you said, you know, I'm really excited about what's, you know, what what's going on in the enterprise. Give give us a sense of, you know, having been on sort of the consumer side with Zynga and now on the other side with with ServiceNow and enterprises. Like, 
what were those things that drew you there? What are the, what do you see as the really big differences from a technology perspective or even just a, you know, an operations perspective between consumer and, and enterprise? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think, I think I've been, you know, lucky to see both sides because what really sort of drives me and it gets to the root of your question when you ask it is about building at scale. You know, when you're doing things on the consumer side, you have to be able to handle, you know, tens of millions of game gameplay adopters happening within hours. You know, it's just a, a stunning sort of vertical climb as you see adoption of things that, as we see in the news today with things like Pokemon Go and, and things like that that are happening. You know, in the in the enterprise side, there is also a, an incredible adoption happening. You know, enterprise IT and sort of the enterprise mantra has sort of moved from what I like to call the old server huggers and guys who used to fix printers, into folks that really want to empower their enterprise. They really want to be sort of the winners, the folks that drive new services. Enterprise IT, you know, maybe 10, 15 years ago, was really sort of seen as the place that innovation really was lacking. And now we're seeing with SaaS applications and other applications that are appearing in the cloud, enterprise IT is kind of becoming heroes. They're becoming the folks that can come into a line of business, they can go to facilities, they can go to legal, they can go to HR departments, and they can really help get things done faster. And that's what really drove me into ServiceNow, uh, to be sort of candid and, and upfront. You know, when I first looked at ServiceNow, it was an IT automation system, an IT help desk system, really focused on automating IT processes, spinning up servers, spinning up uh, VMs, looking at managing IT infrastructure. And that, that's exciting, but it's not the scale of being able to take every possible thing that an enterprise is trying to do and make it run faster. Example would be something like onboarding new employees. When a new employee comes on board an enterprise, think of all the things that have to happen. You have to get them a place to sit. You have to think about what the machine is going to be. You've got to get them logins to email. You need to get them physical badges in card readers. You need to uh, set up a telephone for them to set, you know, to work with. You need to get them installed in the payroll system. You need to get them installed to uh, maybe use the corporate gym. There's just all these things that have to occur that take up time within the enterprise. A lot of them used to get done in email and word of mouth and walking up to the right guy at the right location in the right buildings who knew how to do these sorts of things. But imagine if you could take every process from something as simple as onboarding to something as complicated as finding a new vendor and doing a whole new purchasing process and make it run faster. That's kind of where the new enterprise is going and you know that's kind of kind of what we we spend our time thinking about here. Right. Right. No, it makes makes a lot of sense. I mean it, it's it's a way to sort of directly associate yourself to, you know, either back end revenue or, or you know back end cost savings, front end revenue, all those types of things. Um you're a technologist at heart. Exactly. You're a technologist at heart. You know, <laughs> lots of Lots of IT operations people kind of get drawn to sort of the IS side of cloud because, you know, it, it looks and feels like what they're used to. There's lots of moving parts and so forth. And, and so people dig into that. The, the SaaS side of the world, you know, people tend to sort of go, well, you know, it's just taken care of. I don't really worry about what's under the covers too much, or at least it's, you know, it's not as visible. So hence it, it doesn't get debated as much. You've been, you've been really transparent lately. Uh, ServiceNow has been very transparent lately about, you know, kind of what goes on in your cloud. What are some of those really basic things that people need to be looking for from, from a, you know, a cloud tool, a cloud platform, and just, you know, kind of the things that aren't, common sense for maybe IT that, that they need to think about as they're looking to move, you know, into, into leveraging public cloud or, or building out hybrid cloud availability? 
Yeah, you, you bring up a good point. I think the way you, you summarize the situation, I, I, I tend to look at it slightly the same way, but maybe with a slightly different analogy. You're right. Enterprise IT and enterprise IT folks have really, over time, built solutions. You know, if you'd gone to an enterprise IT department 10 or 15 years ago and said, I need a software application that does XYZ to drive the business forward, they would have put a project plan together and they would have talked about buying data center space and procuring servers and setting up some middleware stack and maybe get into a load balancer and then a firewall and then security would get involved. It's sort of what I call the, the puzzle piece. You know, you, you, you spread the puzzle out and IT guys are, are famous for putting the puzzle pieces together and spending a lot of time talking about how to get that full picture built, right? But in the SaaS world, just because you don't put the puzzle together doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, you can't add a ton of value into the process. You can still go to that same business entity. And instead of saying, let me tell you about the servers I'm going to buy from Dell or HP and the load balancers and the firewalls and everything that I do on the wiring and isn't this super cool and really fun and exciting, why don't you go and talk to them about, let me tell you how I can configure a tool that can really drive your business forward. Let me build that workflow for you. Let me get it running in days instead of months or hours. And you're right. A lot of people have sort of fallen into the infrastructure as a service model because those are the puzzle pieces they're used to having you know, on the table. But the puzzle can be presented to you at a fully built piece of art. It can be something that's ready to go. And that's really sort of the power of sort of this next-gen SaaS. So when we take a look at our offering and we take a look at what we want to talk to people about, we are very happy to be transparent. And I, I very much appreciate the fact you, you notice that. We, we think when you present to IT and when you present to an enterprise, you have to be transparent. You have to show them what they are so that way they trust it in the same way they would trust something sitting in their own data center. But once you get over that hurdle, once people sort of made the mental switch to I don't need to assemble the puzzle. I can now get this beautiful piece of work, art, beautiful piece of art, and hang it on the wall and admire it, and now start to use it. That's really where things have changed. So, in our world, what we want people to think about is, how do I take this SaaS platform and how do I build a workflow, whether it's around security operations or whether it's around other IT constructs. And as you might have read on some of the blogs we've done, we've really done a, a unique architecture there. It's an architecture we call multi-instance. And the architecture is really about giving people an environment within that uh, SaaS platform that looks and feels as much as possible like something would be sitting in their data center. For example, in a multi-instance architecture, we give folks application, Java, Tomcat, virtual machines that are dedicated to their own environment. We give them a database process, a MySQL database process that's dedicated to their instance, their portion of our environment. That's very different from a lot of other SaaS providers out there that sort of try and use a software stack and then carve it up in individual pieces of software uh, in a multi-tenant mode. And we think that's, that's something that really helps us differentiate. So yeah. sort of sum all that up, infrastructure as a service is easily consumable by IT because it's what they're used to consuming, but consuming something that can get them solutions for their business faster, but looks close enough and operates in a way that they're used to operating it, we think is a really powerful combination. Yeah. Let, let, me, let me dig into that concept of sort of multi-tenancy versus sure. multi-instance a little bit. 
you know, a lot of, a lot's changed. Um, you know, I was at Cisco back in the, in the nineties as well. And, and you used to think about, okay, you're going to ha- you're going to have to build out, you know, kind of separate things. And sometimes there was some ins- things like VLANs and stuff that would logically separate stuff. And, sure. you know, since then we, we've seen a lot evolve. We've seen virtual machines that carve up physical servers. We've seen containers and like, if somebody were to sort of ask you to, how, how do I explain this? You know, what, what is that real difference? What's the, not that not so much always the technical difference between multi-tenancy and multi-instance, but what, what's the, what's the operational realities of, of, you know, both on your side from a service now perspective, but, but more importantly to, to an end customer, why, why should they care whether you have one architecture or the other? Yeah, you're right. I mean, back in our early days at Cisco, you remember the cut through versus start and forward, you know, debates and the end of the end result was always, could you move the packets fast enough? And what was the benefit to the network? Right. Right. And I think that's, that's something we want to look at. While we can argue architectural differences, you know, at the end of the day, how does the enterprise consume the service and how does that change for them? Well, let me give you a couple of cases in point. In multi-instance, as I said, every customer gets their own Java virtual machines at home, so holds their own application logic, and they get their own database process that holds their data. So their data, by definition, is isolated both at a data structure and at a process level. So similarly, in an enterprise app, when you spin up a, you know, a SQL server or a MySQL database or an Oracle database inside of your enterprise, that's dedicated to that app. So it's very similar. The benefits of that are, are multifold. Not only is it the physical and logical separation, but it's also the fact that those application logic containers and those database instances are unique to you. That means, for example, you can upgrade when you want. In a multi-tenant environment where everyone's sharing a database, when that database gets upgraded, guess what? Everyone gets upgraded at the same time. From an enterprise point of view, that has some pretty interesting implications. Maybe your users aren't ready for that upgrade. Maybe there's some compliance issues you want to deal with. Maybe there's some security concerns around that upgrade when it occurs. Well, we give people the ability to schedule their own upgrade of their app on our environment on their schedule full stop. I mean, that's, that's how we yep. think about it. Yep. There's also you know, other, other things to think about. If you're running a large database, a large Oracle instance, for example, that serves hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of customers, you seem to spend a lot of time maintaining it because you don't want it to go down. So you end up with these large maintenance windows and lots of time being spent you know, maintaining Oracle Rack and SANS and all the things that we've done in the past. Well, when you actually have individual databases and individual application logic per customer, you can maintain them and do maintenance on them individually, which means your maintenance windows are far shorter, which means higher availability. So we've seen you know, incredibly short you know, minutes of maintenance uh, in our environment for individual customers over quarters and, and years. And we've seen you know, multi-tenancy have to take things down for... I'm not, don't quote me on this one, but I think I saw Oracle uh, say that they're going to take down their cloud is either 10 hours a week or 10 hours a month for all their customers for maintenance. Yeah. So it's just a, a marked difference when you think about being able to build small autonomous units that are managed individually, both by ourselves on the back end and by the customer on the front end, and by building large, homogenous, multi-tenancy environments that impinge on the enterprise's ability to use it. You get forced upgrades, you get one single environment, you have large maintenance windows, you have poor availability. 
I have to imagine that also has some implications. You guys have a, a multitude of customers in, in a lot of different verticals, different industries, different geographic regions. I, I got to imagine that has an implication if if customer A has certain service, uh, you know, certain compliance requirements or security requirements, and other customer has different for you know the industry they're in. Like, give me a sense how, how does that impact them being able to say, hey. Um, you know, we got a we got an inquiry. We got a legal inquiry. We've got to be able to to pull certain amounts of data out of there. How do, how does that impact them, or does it give them more flexibility because of the the multi instance architecture? Yeah, I mean, the multi instance architecture really lets them view everything that's going on within our cloud for their environment. They can pull logs. They can pull audit logs. The data is fully exportable. You know, it's not. There's not a, well, gee, now we need to extract these portions of this database and filter it out for customer X as opposed to customer Y. It's nothing like that at all. It it makes it very linear in order to do that. And, you know, certain customers have lots of different requirements. You mentioned, you know, pulling data and and logging and compliance, but there's there's other things around, you know, Q4, you can't do any upgrades because it's a large e-commerce site or... Uh, we happen to be doing uh, some compliance testing with the FDA, and it means that the data has to be resident for 90 days before it can be changed. Or we're a federal government, whether it's you know our U.S. government or some other government, and the data needs to be in a special environment and needs to have multi-factor before anybody can get to it. All these things are configurable, and they all sit sort of at the heart of our cloud infrastructure. Uh, on top of all that, the applications just obviously just benefit from that. They 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 leverage those pieces of infrastructure as well as those technologies in order to sort of provide the workflow and services we've been talking about. Yeah, no, it makes sense. It makes sense. Let, let me shift gears a little bit. Um, you know, you said early yeah. on, you said early on, uh, you know, IT was sort of about, you know, automating some things, change management, that sort of stuff. ServiceNow sort right. of now lives right. at this intersection between. <laughs> Uh, you know, ITIL sort of existing processes and and DevOps, right? You know, people building, like you said, modern applications, kind of being the front side of the business. How, how much do you, you, you? I assume you get a chance to talk to a lot of different customers. How much do you find that that transition to these more modern applications, more modern things, is is people and process driven versus you know really having the right framework of of tools and platforms underneath to to help accelerate that? Well, I think it's kind of both, but I, I kind of live in the religion that tools can't dictate process or people. You know, it, it's kind of the, the old axiom, you can lead a horse to water sort of thing, right? I, I think that you can provide great tools, but if the, the company's organization and the people in the process don't want to support it, they're just not going to use it. In our, in our world, what we want to do is we want to give people the environment. We want to give them, you know, an IDE in our environment, integration into things like Git. We want to give them all the tools that they'd want to use in a general devops sort of world, but we also want to be able to have them publish those updates immediately and have them available across the internet uh, via our service as often as they'd like. It's an, interesting, it's an interesting spot because we are both in the ITIL incident problem change cab world, and we also are in the DevOps, you build it, you own it, you run it world. And how do those two really go together? And I think it, it depends on the organization and, and how they handle it. You know, I'll give you an example. Um, in our world, when a customer calls in to ServiceNow, and I should mention, and, and hopefully it's, it's obvious, but we run ServiceNow and run our ServiceNow DevOps and our own ITIL process on ServiceNow. So we 
we build ServiceNow on ServiceNow, it operates ServiceNow. It's really redundant really quick, but or recursive really quick, I should say. But if a customer of ours calls in and they open up an incident, and that incident in the IT world generates a problem, otherwise known as a bug, and that bug in turn then has to be put into our development cycle, that bug or that PRB, that problem, gets put into a backlog, which then runs through a story in an epic and eventually hopefully gets prioritized and ends up in a shipping piece of code. But the connection from that incident to that problem to the problem resolution to close the incident is a full circle we think is, is super important in the DevOps world. You notice what we just did is we combined an ITIL concept of incident and problem and change, whether it be code or configuration, into a DevOps process of stories and epics. And I think putting those, those things together, at least for our business, makes a lot of sense because we let the engineers run the process and the life cycle they want, but at the same time, we have sort of the ITIL overarching process that allows our customers to get the responsiveness they see. What we've seen in a lot of other environments is you'll call in, you'll open up an incident or a, a bug with a given, given enterprise, and they'll then turn and do the swivel chair thing, and they'll swivel over to a different system to file a bug for the engineers to go work on. And that connection back from when does the bug actually get resolved, when does the problem get resolved, and how does that tie back to closing the incident is something we think is super important uh, for running our business. And we hope that it, it makes sense for other folks because that's what we think they're using our platform for as well. It's just another workflow, right? It's a customer service tied to engineering workflow from our perspective. Yeah. Uh, Does it make sense? No, no, no. It, it, it's, an, it's an interesting way of looking at it because it, it takes sort of the – the, the chaos that goes on with customers, which is, you know, their, their business is going to go wherever it goes on a day-to-day -day basis, which, you know, might yeah. be short-term or long-term, which kind of aligns to some of the, the changes going on with DevOps and Agile and, and, you know, stories and everything. And then you're, you're putting a structure around that, which, uh, like you said, to a certain extent, it's going to help, you know, manage all that, uh, you know, different inputs, different levels of chaos and so forth. But at the same time, you're you're putting modernization mm -hmm. around those tools. You're you're leveraging Git. You're leveraging, you know, uh, version control. You've got you know com common collaboration that that all your teams can use. It's a it's an interesting, you know, it's I think what it what it highlights is you know while people want to talk about you know whether they talk about DevOps or ITIL or whatever bucket they want to put the newest thing in, it's very rarely just that bucket, right? There's always some sort of blended transition right. that goes on and, and you've got to figure out how to deal with both of them. Actually, that's a, it's a good thing. I mean, I, I, it, yeah, I was just going to argue what you said there, but the one thing we want to be able to do in one report that we look at is we look at number of problems that have been opened associated with an incident and then the age of those problems. You know, generally that's something kind of hard to do, right? A customer calls in, they open up an incident. Meanwhile, over here in XYZ system, I've filed a bunch of bugs, Bugzilla or pick your favorite, and I've got to somehow correlate. Now, these bugs are associated with which customer calls, and how do how do we tie that back? But, I, you know, we think it's really important to tie that into a, that closed loop to really marry the process of how we run our business with the tool we have. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of folks are, are going through that transition. I, I have a lot of discussion with enterprise CIOs around, I'm running a process for my IT team, I'm running a process for HR, I'm doing a, a workflow automation with ServiceNow for uh, onboarding uh, a new process, a new technology into the enterprise. But the development guys, they're doing something else over to the side. 
And I think that as businesses take a step back and realize that they need to tie those workflows together, it's going to be an interesting uh, industry change. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I, I'm going to sort of wrap this up with, with one last question. Um, you know, we were talking a little bit early on about your background. You, uh, you, you've had quite a bit of experience in getting applications out into the cloud, kind of helping to change business models. What, what do you give guidance wise as you, as you talk to customers, especially ones that say, Hey, we, we know we've got to be more responsive to the marketplace. We want to, we want to get new applications out into the cloud. Like what's, what's your guidance to them? What, what are usually the, the first steps or the, the, you know, the, the areas that you try and help them avoid, you know, getting, you know, banging their knees up as much as they could. <laughs> yeah, that's, a good, that's a good way of putting it. Um, well, a couple things. Um, one, one we always tell people is uh, don't boil the ocean. You know, it, it's very hard to have, you know, a big bang where everything changes. Uh, you know, it's probably been maybe one of those successfully. Uh, in the universe. So I think that trying to bite off smaller pieces is super important. And once you get the ball rolling, you'd be surprised how quickly you do it. People, people will hop on board the new system. The other thing to think about is how do you get visibility? So you can create a, a small bite of the apple, but if you don't get visibility into that, then perhaps that's not going to be something that's going to get you the momentum you want. So we look for things that are visible across the org, things like building a service catalog that all employees can go to. You know, we had a a service catalog sort of aha here at ServiceNow. We were handling a lot of IT requests, as a lot of people do. And one day we realized that a large number of our service requests and the number one most popular service request was, how do I get access to the company gym? (laughs) <laughs> so it's just one of those things that people kept, people kept opening tickets on. I can't get access to company gym. The, the, you know, the little bit of backstory on that is we didn't want to give people access to the company gym until they signed the waiver to make sure that they weren't going to you know, hurt themselves and they were been properly trained on the equipment. So your badge didn't automatically work on the company gym door. So we started with our service catalog, and the very, one of the very first things we stuck on the top bold section of the service catalog is, how do I get access to the gym? And boom, that workflow took off and started getting automation. And then as we started to, you know, tickle down sort of the, the various things that we wanted to uh, empower the employees to do in a self-service way, people started to get the power of the platform and started to use it a lot more frequently. So, you know, don't boil the ocean. Pick one that's, that's common. Try and get some data that will find uh, a service catalog item or a workflow that will be impactful to more than just one group. And, you know, I think moving moving at a pace that's perhaps faster and puts people a little more uncomfortable uh, is challenging, but at the same time, very rewarding. You know, the cloud itself allows you to move faster than you're used to moving. Challenge yourself. We we hear about people deploying workflows and new portions of our platform in, in days and weeks, not quarters and, and years. So, you know, challenge yourself a little bit on timelines. Challenge us if you're using us to actually help you get there. And, you know, buy things off one step at a time. And uh, you'd be surprised how quickly quickly the ball gets rolling. That's yeah. just generally yeah. my, my sage advice. No, I think that that's excellent. And, and, the, and the story that you told is, is fantastic. I think it, it highlights something I, I try and mention <laughs> to a lot of people is, you know, there, there's so much sort of insight to your customers, to your market, just in your logs and the things that they tell you every day that, you know, the context around where they click on or don't click on that gives you as much insight as to, you know, any other sort of market intelligence that's out there. So not that that's a great story. Hey, listen, I want to wrap this up. What, you know, where can people, if they want to reach out to you and, and talk a little more about 
you know, kind of the architectures you're building, the philosophy, you know, what's a good way for people to get in touch with you? Where are you going to be out and about if they want to, you know, buy you a beer and, and pick your brain a little bit? Well, that's a good question. Um, I'm always up for, you know, meeting people. Uh, probably the easy way to do it is I'm just at LineWand on Twitter. It's uh, L-E-I-N-W-A-N-D. Otherwise, feel free to reach out to me directly on email, uh, Alan, A-L-L-A-N, dot LineWand at servicenow.com. Always looking forward to talking to folks, and if they have questions or queries, send them my way. You'll find them. Uh, I'm communicative. Fantastic. I tend to use this thing called the internet a lot. So. <laughs> <laughs> you build it, you might as well use it. Now that's great. Alan, thank you so much for being on today. This has been, uh, this has been very, very interesting. Uh, folks, we're going to wrap it up uh, for, uh, for Alan and for Aaron, who should be back uh, next week from, from all of his travels. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 